0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications.
2: Well, Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today we'll be talking with Todd Hevner. He's the Executive Director of the SPCA of Luzerne County. He has some very good tips for you if you're thinking about adopting a dog. And right now it is Adopt a Senior Dog Month. He'll have more on that. We're going to start off by introducing you to, well, he's a new fellow on the block for this area, but he actually Grew up around here, Richard Roman. He is the new district executive for PennDOT District Four. Rich, you'll find out, grew up in the Hazelton area and has spent his most recent time with PennDOT in Harrisburg. What brought him back here to northeastern Pennsylvania and in particular PennDOT District Four in Dunmore? We'll find out. And welcome, Rich Roman, to Special Edition. Well, congratulations, Rich. You're brand new. Wait a minute now. I'm all confused. Mm -hmm. Give us your background. How did you get involved here with PennDOT?
1: Well, I've been with the department for 23 years now. Uh, I actually started in this area while I was going to Penn State, uh, Hazleton and Penn State main campus. I did uh, three internships during the summers while I was going to Penn State this would have been in 92 93 and 94 I I worked up here in the summers Uh, I graduated uh, from Penn State in uh, May of 96 uh, and I went to work for PennDOT in 97 uh, in the Harrisburg area and I've, I've been in the Harrisburg area for about 21 years out of a district office there And for the last five years I was the director of our maintenance and operations forces for our entire state so for the last five years, I've been traversing the state and visiting every county and, and looking at ways so we could be better and serve the public to the best of our abilities with, with the resources that we have. Uh, this past year, my boss, our, our deputy secretary, asked if I was interested if I wanted to go back to work in a district, and, and I said I was, and it was my home district here in District 4.
2: Give us a little bit of that background. Yeah, you sure. started off in college, but yeah. you have a little bit more lower Luzerne County history than that. Sure,
1: I, I, I live in Hazleton with my with my folks and my family down there. I'm a graduate of Hazleton Senior High School in 1991. Go Cougars. Yeah, that's right. Well, I was a Mountaineer back then oh. in 91, so <laughs> oh, I, I was a go Mountaineers. That. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, before they combined all the schools down there.
2: Oh, okay. So I okay.
1: graduated in 91, went to Penn State Hazleton and d- did the, the thing through civil engineering, environmental engineering, and then I went to main campus, Out uh, in State College. Uh, it's like I said, I graduated in 96, and uh, I've just been in transportation uh, since then. And, and I've really enjoyed my 23 years now with PennDOT. Um, I'm glad to have the internships that really got me a taste of what my education could could do for me after I graduated. So I'm a big fan of of students doing internships and trying things because you may try something and really like it, like I was fortunate to have, but you also may try something and and not like it, and maybe that means you have to go a different path. Uh, So having those internships with PennDOT was a great starter for me.
2: So what got Um, you involved in engineering? Was that something that, as a kid, you liked watching things or was Not it just necessarily
1: something? it was it was really one where my mom and dad really stressed education with my brother and I and 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 they really pushed us to 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 strive for greater academics and uh, I would say probably in in junior high and high school I really enjoyed math and I took some drafting courses in high school and those two kind of just blended for me and it just kind of bloomed into something like that and it was just very simple, just having that education working through the Hazleton School District and really the emphasis from my mom and dad to, to stress education and academics to, to really provide yourself with a living. And I found a couple of things that I liked, the drafting courses. I, I think I took them in high school because my brother had taken them. So I figured, well, if he took them, I could take them too. And I enjoyed it, and I ended up doing it, and, and really kind of that was the seed of it. And then when I went to Penn State and started taking the courses – you know I really had a, a, a love for it but I'll, I'll say this again to repeat when I I was encouraged by one of our professors uh, to kind of broaden and deepen my resume to do an internship yeah. so I started that process putting in applications and I ended up getting an internship out of the office here in Dunmore and that's really when it solidified working for PennDOT in those summers and being on construction projects being out in the field doing the testing doing some of the basic entry-level engineering courses Uh, It really instituted to me that uh, this was something that I wanted to do. And like I said, I ended up doing three summers here in in Dunmore area, mainly in lower Luzerne County in Hazleton. Uh, They tried to keep me close to home to keep the travel (laughs) down, so that was good. Uh, And then that really just solidified what I wanted to do for my living, and and it just really pushed me more academically to finish up and and to get into the industry.
2: I think it's always interesting when students – start off in one location, and all of a sudden, many years later, they come back, and they're doing this and that and the other thing. And you often wonder where people come from, where they get their start, how they get involved, because, again, with PennDOT, at that time, it wasn't PennDOT like it is today, so that must have been a little bit different as well. Do they still have internships and things like that as well? Oh, yes.
1: We, we bring on in, in District 4, I think, about 55 college interns every summer. And they deal, still do certain things for us in construction and design and in maintenance. And they, they really help us out over that three-month period of time. We give them projects. We give them activities to do that are meaningful for us, not just busy work, so we, we get a benefit of, of getting some work done from them, and they get the benefit of having an internship, a paid internship, which mm. is which is great. That's even but also better. they start to get that experience whether they like it or not, if this is something that's for them or not. And to me, that's a great opportunity. Like I said, I, I, I stress to anybody that I talk to about getting an internship and seeing, because there's an academic side to every major, oh, as yeah. you know, and you oh, think, yeah. well, I I get the book work, but do I get it when it's in practice? And it'd be a shame to go through the academic side and not have it where you don't like the practice of it. So
2: you said you were given the opportunity to come back into a district, Mm -hmm. and you've been
1: in Harrisburg. What have you been doing down there? So in Harrisburg, I worked in our district based out of Harrisburg, which is up here is District 4. I worked in District 8, which is the eight-county district that surrounds Harrisburg, Cumberland County, down from to Gettysburg, York, and Lancaster. Uh, I worked for 12 years in the design side of the house there in the district, so I was a highway designer designing projects and putting them out for contract. Um, Then about 12 years into my career there, they asked me to shift my uh, duties and, and work in maintenance, and I became the head of maintenance for the district. Maintenance how? Maintenance of our highway system, so that's the crews that fill potholes, to plowing snow, to repairing guide rail, to putting signs up, removing dead deer from the road, paving—all the things that our, our forces do to maintain and operate our system. So I did that for about four years, and you R- were
2: in charge of that.
1: I was in charge of that so for the district. So you
2: got all the dead deer calls.
1: I got a lot of calls. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we got. District 8's a pretty big, pretty big district, uh, w- with a lot of impact, and you know, it's a, around our capital, so we got a lot of. A lot of eyes down there, and we got a lot of good calls. But the folks down there did a good job like they do all across the organization. Uh, so for four years, I, I ran the, the maintenance department for the district. Then after that, there were some openings in our central office, which is uh, right next door to the Capitol building, which is the Keystone building. Mm-hmm. And I was asked and applied for a position to be in charge of the maintenance and operations for all of the department, all, all the commonwealth. So for the past five years, I was in charge of our Bureau of Maintenance and Operations, which works with our engineering districts and focuses on the maintenance and operation activities for all 67 counties within Ooh, Pennsylvania.
2: That's a lot of potholes. It's, it's
1: a lot of everything. You know, in, <laughs> in Pennsylvania, we operate and maintain about 40,000 miles of roads and 25,000 bridges. Uh, and, and we're a state where our entire state sees snow Oh, So there's there's a lot of states that are bigger than us, say Florida, but you know they don't have any freeze or thaw or snow like we do. So we have all the four seasons, which makes Pennsylvania a great state to, to live and work in. But it's quite a challenge when you're trying to maintain roads that have 20 to 30 cars a day to um, areas around Philadelphia County and Philadelphia City that have 150,000 cars a day and so everything in between.
2: Now you're back in... District Mm 4, which takes up, again, its own good size area, Mm -hmm. as we all know. And what are you going to be actually doing here? Do you still
1: have your fingers in all of that, or have you shifted again? Well, I've shifted now to solely District 4. So PennDOT District 4 has six counties. We have Luzerne and Lackawanna. We have Susquehanna and Wyoming. We have Pike and Wayne. So I'm responsible for all of the PennDOT activities in those six counties. So I'm responsible for the design, construction, maintenance, operations, making sure we do the proper press releases and press announcements, integration with the public, safety, and all that. So I am out of my old job running just maintenance for the state to now running all of the functions with my team, naturally, for just this district.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're the man that we go to. Yes, I'm the man for this
1: area now, yes. <laughs> along with my staff, of course. Well, of sure. course, yeah. yeah. We
2: we can't forget about them. Uh, sure. And before we go any further, I know that there has been a release out, and I'm going to say guide rail. Mm-hmm. And then I can hear them all. Hear them. Guide yep. rail. It's a guard rail. Yep. What are you talking? What's the deal? Yeah. Guide guard. Now that is a puzzling question that many people are waiting to hear the answer to. Don't go away. Rich Roman, the new district executive for PennDOT District 4 in Dunmore, will be back to answer that question and many more when Special Edition continues. Welcome back to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're pleased to have with us Richard Roman. Rich is the District Executive for PennDOT District 4. He's been telling us a little bit about his background and has the answer to a question that many in our area have been asking. When
1: did the guardrail become a guide rail? Well, several years ago, it used to be called guardrail. Right. But based on, based on a court case, the name was changed to guide rail because of the function of what it's to do. And it's really to keep you from going down over the bank, off the side of the road, and it's to guide you along the shoulder to keep you still upright. So it's not guarding it's you. It's not guarding you from anything. It's supposed to guide you. If you're going off the road, it's to guide you to stay on the shoulder. So it's, it's more of a guiding type of activity than a guarding type of activity. It's very semantic. It's very uh, yeah, bureaucratic. It, yeah. But we call it guide rail, and we hope that we, hope we do right by putting it in the locations that, that protect people and guide them from going off the roadway.
2: All right. So now that we have the semantics <laughs> correct, <you> <laughs> <laughs> now that we have that part of the semantics correct, what is that project? And is that coming here to District mm-hmm. 4?
1: It's coming uh, really across the nation. Um, Basically, federal transportation research has simply found that vehicles now are higher than they were 20 years ago. More people are driving SUVs, Mm -hmm. pickup trucks, and even just the the regular old minivan, they're sitting higher off the ground now. Uh, And some of that is for convenience, some of that is for just size, you need to pack more people in, you're sitting higher, maybe you feel a little bit safer, right? So from the, the, the cars that my mom and dad had growing up in that were lower, uh, now they're a little bit higher. So through research, um, and this, this is the research where they, they take a car and they crash it into a guide rail and they study it. You may have seen that on, online or mm-hmm. on the Internet. And, mm-hmm. and what they're saying is that cars are higher now. So the goal when you run into guide rail is that you hit that rail that's on the post. So right now that rail is sitting at about 27 inches off of the ground, which uh, really served the cars from 20 years ago. But now we're going to be raising that rail four inches so that the higher cars hit from the bumper into that rail and not have that opportunity to drive over it because ah. they're higher. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're going through a process of analyzing how much of guide rail we have on our interstates and expressways and all across our entire system, not only in District 4, but in the rest of the state. Uh, and that's a mandate from Federal Highway Administration that over time, each state has to come up with a plan to make their guide rails uh, basically more practical for what the vehicles we're driving today. Did someone ask the DEER? Uh, we haven't heard back from these, them yet
2: whether we can clear whether they can clear them or not
1: <laughs> oh I've seen deer clear a lot higher than just <laughs> yeah. 31 inches but no. we're still waiting for their survey back
2: well yeah. I, I'm just curious because again as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in our area as in many of the other areas that in in the state deer are a pretty big concern sure and they're showing up in more places than you would think oh yeah so if there's any way that we can do that. I'm yeah, like a, a deer <laughs> could jump
1: over a 31-inch guide rail with, with ease. Um, unfortunately, why we're seeing a lot more deer around is, you know, a lot of their um, environment is being taken over, right, mm-hmm. through development and other things. And, and that's no political statement. That's just a fact. No, if, it's if a fact. we're building more things yep. and we're cutting down more trees, we're taking away their environment, and they're, they're scrambling to find other places. And especially now while they're doing their, their thing here before the winter season, uh, they're very active and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's something I, I in, in the time that I've been coming up the District 4 now, I've had many deer run in front of me. Uh, and it's startling. And <laughs> you just really have to be mindful because you, you may not see them and they're right there and they're fast and it's, it's very startling, but, you know, we have to do our best to kind of share the road with them if we can.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about, too, the idea of constructing. And you said that one of the things that you have long been involved in and now here will be the idea of roads. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, why did they put this road here? It's so curvy. It's so, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're coming along and there's a big... Who, how do how they make those decisions?
1: Well, a lot of it is just the ge- geography of, of northeastern Pennsylvania. We're, we're in the mountains, and, and this is a beautiful area. Uh, but when you have all the mountains and the streams, that, that carves through um, our landscape. And, and our, our goal is to navigate through that. So this isn't uh, Oklahoma where it's all flat and there's no hills. Uh, I was in Florida recently, and I you could drive around there and you could see for miles because there's no hills and mm-hmm. and a lot of the roads in Southern Florida are just a simple grid because they could. Well, here, you got to really search for a flat area, especially you know, coming up from Hazleton every day. It's all hills and curves and and major intersections. So our, our goal is to kind of weave our network in where people are living and where they're going to. And sometimes that means we have some curves and, and downgrades and, and our job is to make sure that we have that as safe as we can. We have a proper speed limit posted. We have any advisory signs that may help people make better decisions while they're going down through it. And we need to make sure that during the winter season, you know, we clear those roads as safely and, and as quickly as we can be. But uh, to me, we also need the, the traveling public to help us with that too, by maybe slowing down a little bit in, in, in bad weather, allowing some more time to, to get to your location mm-hmm. uh, and those sorts of things. So it's just it's just the nature of the landscape of living in living in a beautiful area here.
2: So do you take that into consideration when you're planning a roadway? Because I know a lot of people will say, why would they put this hairpin turn at the bottom of the hill right. when we know we're going to have a snowstorm yeah. and you have snow that'll blow out onto the you're laughing. You're, yeah. You've got a smile I've, on cause your I've face. Because I've seen it. You've heard it. I've
1: seen it, but you know when, when you think of it, when you get down to the bottom of the hill and you have to turn, unless we take that hill out, which would probably triple or quadruple the cost of the project, we have to put that turn in because I've, I've seen them and I drive on them. But in the end, if you're ever along that hairpin turn and could safely kind of look up and say, well, how could we ever get rid of this? We would have to take that mountain out which would cost millions and millions of dollars, which we don't have. So we'd rather put that hairpin turn in and maybe let people know in advance of that hairpin turn that it's coming Mm -hmm. uh, to use caution and to slow down uh, because we're we're kind of building in in the environment that we're living in. And it's just not that flat. And if we had to take down every mountain that had a hairpin curve at the bottom, we wouldn't have any mountains up We'd here we would be florida I mean, we would be florida and <laughs> i don't know, you know it just doesn't financially it just doesn't make sense to do that so we try and make it as safe as we can for folks
2: when we talk about financially as well and of course we have had many conversations with James May mm-hmm. and he's given us a lot of reasons for fixing potholes and and the with their new apps that are out there and things like that but when we're talking about financially now, are you also going to be looking at those kind of things as well where you're, okay, we've got these potholes? Because mm-hmm. that's that seems to be the biggest thing Sure, is yeah. the, you know, and construction.
1: Yeah, that, that's really a, a large part of my job and my key staff in the district is making sure we're doing the right activities uh, at the right time with the money that we have we all know there's a there's a certain level of a gas tax and revenue that comes in the PennDOT Um, we do our best with what we're giving whatever that number is and we're really examining our activities and our operations right now to determine if we should change some of those so we could do more effective treatments like more pothole patching more base repair more basic things to keep the roadway alive so to speak until we could get to larger projects uh, using maybe federal dollars or capital state project dollars. Uh, so for us, we're really looking at, all right, since the time I've been here, we've, we've met with all of our forces and talking through, you know, some of the activities. And we're really starting to formulate that um, maintenance first mentality back to our core business of maintaining roadways properly and safely. So we don't, we could get out of the pothole business sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're never going to be totally out of it just because of the nature of the weather here and the precipitation, but also that freeze-thaw that goes on every spring. We're, we're never going to not have potholes, no matter what funding is or gas taxes. It's just physics, right, in a way. But my goal is how do we get out of pothole season as quick as we can so we could do other things? And there's a whole host of, of operations that need to be done prior to doing potholes to allow us to do potholes and move on and that's really what we're focusing back in on here.
2: I know um, there's also been a lot of um, town meetings, mm-hmm. especially when you're going into an area. I think there was just one up in Susquehanna County, yeah. and there's always something. Are you going to be taking part in those as well?
1: I was at the Susquehanna County Town Hall yesterday, and or last week, and then yesterday James and I did a did a sort of a town hall with Ryan Leckie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I, I am very proud of the work that PennDOT does and 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 I'll go to mostly any town hall that I'm invited to to talk about the great work that PennDOT does, uh, but also to talk through the issues that we have. You know, as I said last week in Susquehanna County, we're not a perfect organization. We have great men and women that are working hard and doing the best they can. There are limitations to things. You know, just a year ago, we forget that this area was decimated with tremendous flooding. And you don't just snap your fingers and, and, and recover from that. You know, this past winter, it seemed like it never wanted to end. We were going into April, and it was still cool and getting flurries. That's when we'd like Florida. Yeah, <laughs> right, that nice, flat grid system. <laughs> yeah. uh, so to me, there, there's a lot of great things with living in the Northeast. But you have to realize there's also some things that are some headwinds with snow and all that. So for me, you know, I, we, we need to do the best we can with what we have with where we all live. And, and for me, I, I think we have the, the people and, and, the, and the troops to do that. Uh, but it's, it takes time. You know, like I said, when, when you had a tremendous amount of rains last August and September, that's not that far away. It's, it's just 12 months pr- past. Mm-hmm. And, and we did a lot of projects just to bring work roads open, not to make them any better or to widen them or to make them any smoother. Just to reopen them was really a Herculean effort.
2: And it doesn't matter what you use on the roads yeah. when it comes down to the fact that there are uh, snow and there's a flood and mm-hmm. it takes
1: anything. It can take yeah. concrete. One of the things I have, Mother Nature is very humbling. Yes. And we, we could have triple the budget and triple the staff. But if you get 10 inches of rain in a day, you, you, you can't overcome that it's just it's and you get snow and you get freezes so to me we have to be mindful of that so we have to know there's ways to overcome some of the things that mother nature provides us by making sure we're doing the proper drainage work that we're clearing pipes out that we're putting in the right size that we're properly staffed there's things but you can you, you never beat it yeah yeah and well, that's okay that's okay
2: so what would you like to leave with our listeners since you're the new kid on the block
1: well, to me, I'm, I'm glad to be back in my home area and, and, and working for a great organization that, that's PennDOT. Uh, what I've said to people, and I said it yesterday and last week, we have great staff that every day are trying to make our system safe and passable for everybody. I, I know PennDOT sometimes gets a bad rap, especially in the Northeast here, uh, but the people that I've seen here, the people that I've been working with, they're why I wanted to come back because of the work that they're doing. And I think if we have a plan in place and we're developing that plan, I hope in time that people will see that we're really doing our best to serve them. We're not gonna be perfect. That's a whole nother discussion, <laughs> uh, but we're gonna be very good. And I'm, and I'm confident that we could do that. And in the end, it's about safety. Our, our jobs and everything that we do is really about the safety of the traveling public, but also our employees as well. Uh, on my way up here today, I drove through two or three work zones already with people starting their day out on Interstate 81 and Route 309. And we need to make sure that I want all those people to go home at the end of the day, uh-huh. just like I want all the commuters to go home today, too. So it's really all about safety. And some people may question our decisions, why we say yes to this and no to that. You know, when, when we sit down and, and make those decisions, one, we make it with a group of people. It's not just me and We bang a gavel and that's it. Um, But we also talk about what's the safety component here? What are the risks if we do it? What are the risks if we don't do it?
2: And why does it take so long?
1: It's just the nature of the beast sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the times with the money that we get, there's timing with it. Uh, Sometimes federal dollars aren't available for certain years. uh, And you have to be able to deliver the money that you get each year. Uh, So it's just the, the process that it takes. And that process, it may seem... Bureaucratic from the outside and and, and, it, and it might be but it's really to make sure that we're checking off all the boxes properly So that we can provide a safe system because when you think of it if we rebuild a section of interstate 81 here You know that's a 24-7 365 business that always has to be open And the interstates have been open since the 50s mm-hmm. and So if you're considering it like a small business when we build those bridges we want that bridge to last 100 years that's a long time to be in service. So it may take an extra six months to design it and build it and do it properly. But when we cut the ribbon on that bridge, if we're building a bridge now, we don't want to replace that until you know, we're 100 years here. from now. Yeah, it's someone else's problem. <laughs> and that's how it should <laughs> be. So it may take a little bit extra on, in the front, but when you think of how long our infrastructure has to be in place, it's a tremendous investment.
2: Well, I'm not even gonna ask you about roundabouts okay <laughs>
1: dodge the bullet there
2: I'll, I'll i'll leave i'll leave that one we'll get for james, the next time we'll get james may down here or yeah the next sure. that was going to be my next question are we not going to see you now or are you going to go back into your into your office well and- i hibernate
1: all winter so okay. you won't see me <laughs> uh but no i i will like i said i i will do any public event that that makes sense to talk about pendot so if this is something that you or the station will want me to do like i said we did a town hall and i not And a lot of folks, why we question that. And then I said to my staff, I wouldn't mind if every county wanted to do a town hall. Because I'm proud of the work PennDOT does. uh, And I'm proud of what we do here in District 4. So if there's ever an opportunity that you wanted to talk with me or my staff in a a different forum or this forum, we're glad to do it. Uh, Now, that's not saying I want to do a town hall every day. I do have a day job. (laughs) That's why we have James, and he does a great job of it. But uh, when there's things that you want to talk through engineering-wise or technically-wise... I would have have no problem bringing my staff down and doing it or even myself. So whatever you need from us, please just reach out.
2: See, sometimes I think that's what the public needs too because – and your office does a great job with that. But there are just so many questions and people look at it and all they say is – or all they see is, this is the way it looks – and they don't understand that sometimes it takes a long time yeah. or there's a reason or you know what you find when you when you dig in order to to change something so yeah maybe we'll take you up on that sure anytime <laughs> And our thanks once again to Rich Roman, the new district executive for PennDOT District 4 here in Dunmore. We'd like to thank him for coming by and spending some time with us. Get to know him as the new kid on the block. Now don't go away. We're also going to find out what it means to adopt a senior pet that's what November is, Adopt a Senior Pet Month, and we're going to take a trip to the SPCA of Luzerne County. Todd Hevner, Executive Director, will be here with some great tips and some other suggestions for taking care of your pet on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. We love our pets. We love spending time with them. And we love when they love us back. So, how do we know what kind of a pet we're going to get, especially if we're adopting one? Somebody like Todd Hevner, the Executive Director of the SPCA of Luzerne County and the staff, can help answer all those questions. But Todd's here today to answer some others. Todd, being in charge of the SPCA in Luzerne County, a pretty big task. It is. And you get it from all sides. A lot of times you're wrong, a mm. lot of times you're right. Right. What's your background to get you prepared for all this?
0: Uh, well, I spent a, roughly a decade in the animal welfare industry. Um, previous to that, I did uh, nonprofit housing um, for also about a decade. So I've been in the nonprofit field my entire professional life. And a little later in that professional career, I found my my heart, my passion, which is the animals.
2: What brought you here?
0: I was working at York County SPCA, and an opportunity opened up here in Luzerne County. There were already some uh, synergies between the, the two organizations in, in York County and Luzerne. Um, I love the area. I think it's beautiful. It is, um, my wife and I are very big outdoors people, um, and Luzerne County has a absolute ton to offer in that respect. So it just, it made sense for us to come up here and enjoy um, all the beauty that Luzerne County has to offer.
2: When you're talking about the fact that you were involved in York County, and now you're in Luzerne County, mm-hmm. do you find that there are a lot of similarities in the different things that the organization has to deal with?
0: There are. There's a lot of similarities. There's also a lot of differences uh, just between the, the two communities themselves. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges with animal welfare as a whole is it's an incredibly emotionally taxing environment. Um, we see the ugly of the ugly and, and the best of the best. You know, we really, it's heartwarming to watch animals go home to the new forever families. And it's also heartbreaking to watch the next animal come through the door that may be in various states of disrepair or abused or abandoned. Um, but it, we have a, a team of very unique individuals that their hearts in the right place. And we do the very best we can with the animals that uh, find themselves in our care.
2: Take us through a typical day, I guess. Maybe it, maybe it's more than a day. Let's say that you get a report mm-hmm. of an animal that's, and I hate when I see this, they're in the middle of the road. Nah. And you know you shouldn't chase them, but it's your first instinct just to get them off the road. Sure. So you get the call. What Uh, happens?
0: You know, when we get the call, usually animals are brought to us by private citizens. Um, They've picked them up off the road. They've found them in their backyard wandering, whatever the case may be. And once they find themselves in our care, we then begin to go through some very basic foundation steps of trying to identify the animal through a microchip, a license, or some other identifiable feature of the animal. And now we then go into the process of trying to match that animal up with a lost owner. Um, If that is not feasible, they go into our kennel um, and spend 48 hours on a hold uh, process in order for that owner to come forward. Um, After 48 hours, our organization has elected to hold another, an additional 24 hours, so a total of 72 hours we're waiting for an owner to come forward and then the animal will go up for adoption. They'll see our veterinarian to make sure they're healthy or if there are any needs we need to address while they're in our care. And then it becomes trying to keep them happy, comfortable, social, and you know, looking for their next family.
2: And one of the things too is once they find that forever home, you want to hope they stay there.
0: Absolutely. You know, the, the SPC of Luzerne County is, we do a lot of things, and we do a lot of things well. There are Humane Society police work, our respite care and adoption programs, uh, but but some things that we'd really like our community to know is we're a resource. Call us. If you're having an issue um, with your animal, call us. We may not have the immediate answer in-house, but we can certainly provide you the guidance and where to, where to sort of seek out that information or that assistance that you're looking for.
2: And how do you determine then? Because, again, you have so many people and birthday time, Christmas time. Oh, I want a puppy. I want a kitty. I want a kitten kind of thing.
0: <sighs> there, so that's tough. It is. We have an application process. It's a relatively simple application process where we're looking for uh, just some basic identifiable information about the individual. But then we're, we take it a second step and we're looking at your animal history. Did you ever own animals? If you did, what type of animals did you vet them with uh, a local veterinarian? And then we also call some personal references just to make sure um, you know, everything is on the up and up. Our, our main goal when we have animals in our care is to find them and set them up in their next forever home that's a positive successful placement we do we do the best to set the animal up for success rather than um, obviously uh, setting them up for failure so we really do our best to pair the animal with with the right family and it goes further than you know I, I like that breed or I like that animal does that breed or that particular animal match your lifestyle uh, if you're uh, I, I often say if you're a marathon runner, the Jack Russell is not your guy. okay're you're, you're, you're looking for more an endurance dog or something of that nature. So we really try to marry your needs as as a uh, pet parent with the needs of the of the in the individual animal that's looking for their next home.
2: And again, that must be very difficult because when you have people coming in, as you said, your goal is to get that animal, a forever home mm-hmm. and here's a person who's saying i want that i want that one uh-huh. and here's todd standing in the background going i don't think that's a good idea and, what happens uh, there
0: it it can be um it can be explosive sometimes um folks can get upset and and i can understand that it is Um, it's not just an emotionally charged environment we work in, it's as emotional for us as it is for the potential adopters coming through the door, and they do. They walk in and they see a look or or a a particular animal in a kennel and think, that's the one I want. We encourage them to spend a little bit more time with the animal, learn their personality to make sure it indeed uh, agrees with your lifestyle and personality as well, because if they don't, um, no matter how good the pet parent is or how good the particular animal is, if they don't, if their their lifestyles don't mesh up, it can be a, a an unfortunate uh, situation where the animal is going to come back into our care, and we try to avoid that for obvious reasons.
2: One of the things that um, I've heard different people who are potential adopters say is they ask too many questions, and they require too many things, and I don't think they want these animals to get homes because here I am mm-hmm. – That must be another tough situation. It is,
0: you know. We do ask a lot of questions, but we do it in order to find that next home that we believe is setting this animal up for success. Um, It's not enough to just want an animal. It is a responsibility, and it's and it's a life. It is there is a lot that goes into um, the the responsible care of an animal and we do our best and we do ask a fair amount of questions but we do it in in the spirit in of trying to find that that positive placement it is not to make it uh, unreasonably difficult to to adopt an animal it really is about finding the right home for the right animal and although it can be disheartening to some adopters I think when they sit back and think about it they would appreciate the fact that we are so diligent when we do try to find that next home for an animal because it is so important to us that it is the last forever home they go to. I
2: always say that, and I'll probably get in big trouble for this, but I know people who can spend more time trying to find a pair of shoes than deciding that they want to go in and adopt an animal (laughs) you know as sad as that is that is
0: unfortunately very true and this is some of the things we're trying to combat at at the SPCA with uh, we don't want you to make a snap decision we don't do gifts and we do personal adoptions to to families that is what we do because we want to make sure all of the individuals in, in the family mom dad brother sister are all on board and can live harmoniously with the animal they've chosen to bring into their into their care.
2: And what if there's already a pet at home?
0: Uh, th- that takes it to, to, to an additional level if there is already a pet in a home um, we will do meet and greets to make sure reasonably make sure that they're going to get along without um, any major issues you know anytime you adopt an animal or bring a strange animal into your home you you have to have a sort of hyper sense of vigilance because it's strange to them. it's a stressful environment and they're just trying to figure out themselves where do I fit in in this new pack um, this is this is what we're trying to do and baby step our adopters into this this introduction process when you bring a new animal home it's not unheard of for it to take 4 6 12 18 weeks for the animal to truly sort of calm down and understand okay this is where i'm going i'm not leaving these are my family and i understand inside this family where i belong and and what my my place in the pack
2: is. And now I know where the door is if I have to go out. Absolutely. That's what we hope for. I know <laughs> where the door is. <laughs> that's 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 actually one of the other big things is I've heard from other people, you know, well, we adopted this animal out and it came, they brought him back in a week and a half because we're going on the floor. Well, really? You,
0: you know, when you when you adopt an animal from a shelter, you know, we... we Try to educate, and hopefully our potential adopters keep in mind that these animals have lived in a kennel. It may have been for two days. It may have been for, for 24 months this animal has been in a kennel. So the idea of housebreaking may be something that they have, but, again, they're, they don't know your home. They don't know where the door is. They don't know your routine, and, and a, a dog especially will find comfort in knowing what to expect. So routines are absolutely um, keystone in making an animal comfortable in low stress environment. So it's a process, uh, no doubt. It is a process when you bring a new animal into your home. But if you're committed to that forever friend, I can assure you they will get what you're trying to teach them. And when they do, the beauty and and heart warming that it brings to your life is. Something that is could be truly uncomparable.
2: And again, we talk about animals, but everybody seems to be geared toward the puppies, the kittens, and that is an even longer commitment. Oh my! And you you don't realize that mm-hmm. when you because they're cuddly, and then you get the they've grown up
0: now. Yeah, that not, that cute puppy's now one hundred and ten pounds. Not
2: so cuddly anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, puppies are great. Um, kittens are great. They're a lot of fun. They're super cute. They love to cuddle. They're a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a puppy is, or a kitten, can be every bit as much as that uh, two-year-old toddler running around the house, putting everything in its mouth, exploring the world through, in a, in a dog situation, through their mouth. They're going to chew on things. They're going to taste things. They're going to put their mouth on it because this is what babies do. This is how babies explore their environment and our and our infant puppy is no different than than these animals. And they're really looking to their people for guidance and show me.
2: Oh, but it was so cute. He yeah. <laughs> ate my shoe. How cute was that? It's cute until it's 110 <laughs> pounds and it became he ate my couch. <laughs> but you do have older pets as well.
0: Absolutely. We have older pets. We have senior pets. We offer a senior to senior uh, adoption discount. So if a senior... Uh, uh, adoptive family in our community is looking for a senior pet we'd encourage them to come down it is half price for them to adopt through us um... because it we know the value that it can bring to an individual's life in in just sheer joy but in health and, and wellness benefits uh, to owning an animal so um... They're all wonderful from puppy to elderly they're all wonderful animals and all deserve that love and attention and, and care that that we hold so dear to our and heart.
2: That's why I can't volunteer for you, because they'd all be at my house by the end of the day. But Careful, Paula, we can arrange that. <laughs> yeah, I bet we could. But let's talk about volunteers, sure. because, again, you you wouldn't be able to do all the programs. You're out there in the community. Mm. You're bringing your animals to different functions and all these different things and parades and all. So either, either you'd have to multiply yourself... <laughs>
0: You know and and we are exceptionally fortunate to have a wonderful community outreach coordinator. Um, she is incredibly passionate and dedicated to what what we do at the shelter. It, it speaks to her heart, and it's incredibly obvious. People when they meet her, uh, her name's Chelsea Feldman, when they meet Chelsea, they really want to be a part of what Chelsea's got going on because she is so um, wonderful in the way she can articulate and share. The passion and dedication she feels for our animals, and it, it becomes very infectious amongst amongst our community and and the individuals we're very fortunate to have as part of our team.
2: And then, what about those volunteers? How do they get in touch with you? And I know a lot of people will say, "Oh, I have I have to do some community service hours for this program or that program." So I'm going to call the SPCA. Sure. And eh, sometimes you want to say to them. Why? Because it's easy? Because they want you to come there? Or because you're hoping to get something positive out of it? Well, you, can't, you, you can't say that, though.
0: Well, and, <laughs> you know, uh, that's certainly our hope, is that you're coming to the SPCA for the right reasons. It's not because it's easy. Um, because truth be told, it may be physically easier than some other um, volunteer positions. But, but the emotional toll it can take on an individual just to see the animals come and go is huge. Um, And if anybody in our community is interested in volunteering, I would absolutely encourage them to give us a call at 570-825-4111 and ask to speak with our community outreach coordinator. And she would love to walk you through the process and encourage you and share with you the many, many, many different ways that... You can volunteer at our shelter. It is not just with animals. There is off-site and events, as you had mentioned, Paula. There is dog walking and administrative work. There is an absolute plethora of, of, of uh, tasks and responsibilities that we could not be as, as uh, positive as we are in our community without the, the help of this uh, army of volunteers.
2: Well, it's nice to get to talk to you because you are the executive director of the SPCA in Luzerne County. And that gives everyone a perspective of what you are hoping to get the word out about. But what would you like to leave with our audience as a last thought to kind of wrap up, you know, coming from York, being here now? Uh,
0: You know, one thing that, that our organization, um, educates our community on quite often is our Luzerne County is completely autonomous. We are an independent organization. We are not affiliated with any parent company or um, overreaching corporate uh, entity that controls our organization. We are a local entity that serves and helps our local community. Uh, You know, there's always the mantra of give local, help local. Uh, That could not be more true. Uh, You give local, the money stays local, it helps your neighbors, it helps the animals in your community, in your neighborhood. Um, That is certainly a sentiment that I want our community to hear and take to heart. And the the final thing I'd like to leave them with is it truly takes a village. We can move our community towards a more humane society if we all work together and we all believe in the value of the animals we choose to share our lives with. can be a beautiful thing if we just come together and work at it as a community.
1: Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours